No contract. Of course you'd say that. Beware the non-conformist. <laughs> I'm going to introduce you to Miss Ayn Rand. I think she'll salivate. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Thin Like That, a podcast about Mad Men. I'm your host, Mike Lovito. And I'm your other host, Kathleen Lovito. I almost missed my cue. <laughs> That's okay. Um, you can come a little closer to the microphone. Yeah. I'm sure you're being picked up fine, but it, it bothers me people lean back away from microphones when we're recording stuff, so... <laughs> it doesn't um, help that I sit in a rocking chair. <laughs> That's true. Um... Yeah, Madman, we're here to talk about Season 1, Episode 11, Indian Summer. Uh, first first thoughts about this episode before I dive into this epic of a synopsis. <laughs> um, I, for the record, I remember the episode. Okay. I just don't know if I have any first thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's... I don't, I don't dislike this episode. I just, like, it's not one of them that, like, hits me. Yeah. I feel like it's one where, like, we start to see Betty's happiness unraveling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what strikes me about this episode. A lot going on in this episode. Yeah. I think it's one of those that, like, you know, it's an earlier episode that tries to be, like, very transgressive, as we'll see. Um, but yeah, yes, the beginning of the unraveling of Betty Draper, I think, yeah. is like a big, big part of it. And then uh, the, the continuing career, the, the, uh, the tra- career trajectory of Peggy getting yes. bigger and better. Also, what happens, and then also Pete becoming a little more schemy and weaselly than mm-hmm. he has been in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, let's, let's see how that all happened. It opens up on Adam Whitman. You'll remember that he approached Don... Um, it's Don's long-lost half-brother. Uh, he's in his sort of, like, hotel he's staying at. Uh, he goes to have the front desk, have him deliver a package that's addressed to Don, goes up to his room, lays out all the cash that Don paid him off to try and get him to leave New York in the previous episode he was in, um, and then he hangs himself. We move completely away from that to it just being really hot out there. Don comes to the office where Peggy and Jonah are arguing about Peggy using the phone for personal call, Peggy was just trying to swerve her way out of a date that was set up by her mother. Um, but... Oh, I forgot this part. Yes. And then Don... But before we can get to any of that, we have to talk about the passive exercise regime, a.k.a. the P-E-R, a.k.a. the electricizer, this belt designed for a woman um, that creative is trying to figure out how to sell. There's no scientific evidence of weight loss, and yet it receives rave reviews from everyone who uses it, including Freddie's wife. Uh, not knowing what to do with it, they decided to rope in Peggy since she did such a good job on the Belgian account, and hey, she's a woman who's targeted at her, why shouldn't she? Um, tell her to go on, try it on, report back. That night, uh, Peggy puts it on, discovers, in Don's word, that it provides the pleasure of a man without the man, which, like, embarrasses and mortifies her. Um, we then get the shot of Betty alone in bed, which, and she kind of looks at Don's empty side of the bed, and then it fades to a shot of Don and Rachel in bed together, and Don's like, oh, our love's real, we won't get there, blah, 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 I just don't know what to do, I'm married, blah, 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 blah. Um, the next day, Peggy reports back what she's learned about the electricizer in a very coy way, and Don tells her, hey, that's the benefit, we just can't advertise that, yeah. so figure out a way to write around it. 
um, back in Austin named Betty in the, earlier in the morning. She's still in a robe. She answers the door at a sweaty AC salesman. Um, and after a little resistance, lets him in for a glass of water. Talks about the benefits of air conditioning. Shows where we go in the dining room. And then also says, hey, we would put one upstairs too. So Betty sort of begins to lead him upstairs where he would show it. But then she thinks better of it and says, hey, no, please leave my husband. I don't like that you were here. Uh, we then get like a very short sequence of Rachel discussing her affair with her sister, who's very disapproving. Then um, later that night, Betty tells Don about the air conditioning guy, and that upsets him. Uh, the next day, Sterling Cooper set up a meeting with Lucky Strike, the very important client, the cigarette company. Um, they've been spooked by Roger's health scare since he's sort of like the quarterback on their account. Um, and so what Sterling Cooper has arranged is to have Roger come in for one one-hour meeting, fresh out of the hospital. Mona bring his wife brings him there. He looks like death. They even say he looks like death. Um, so they bring him to Joan. They're left alone together so Joan can, you know, put makeup on him, but they kind of share this moment where Roger says he was a sir, she missed him, and it's kind of communicated that he uh, is, can't really carry on their affair mm -hmm. in very crass terms, actually. Um, so they have this meeting of Lucky Strike. Roger ends up having another heart attack. Um, he leaves on a stretcher. Mona berates Cooper for caring too much about money, or more about money than Roger's, Roger's life, rather. And Lee Garner Sr., the head of Lucky Strike, says he'll only feel secure if Don is given an even bigger role in the account, i.e. promoted to partner. The younger guys sort of go into Pete's office and discuss what just happened and the possible inevitable promotion of Don, and all of them assume Don will be promoted to partner, and this really pisses off Pete, who doesn't understand, like, hey, if he's promoted, then you get to move a step up the ladder too, possibly. Um, later, that night, later that night, Peggy goes on a date with a truck driver in Brooklyn, where she tries to come off as very urbane and sophisticated, and he's just kind of like a dude, like a regular guy. Um, they argue about their careers, whether or not advertising is effective. Peggy gets, Peggy gets offended, gets up and leave, and tells her date that people in Manhattan are better than them because they want things they haven't seen. Uh, Don calls Dr. Wang, Peggy's a psychiatrist, to complain about the lack of progress Betty has made, and in fact suggests that she's been worse off than before. Dr. Wayne says it'll take more time and possibly more intensive therapy for him to see results. Um, Peggy presents the electricizer, which she's renamed the Rejuvenator. She presents the copy, which just kind of confuses the men and falls flat. And Don describes what it really does, and they all kind of joke about it. And Ken points out Freddy's wife uses it, which makes Freddy come after Ken. But a fight is stopped, and everyone is assigned their roles for this product, which includes Peggy writing copy. Later, Peggy meekly asks Don for a raise, which he gives her, but he tells her she should be more aggressive. Bert pulls Don into his off into well, into Roger Sterling's office where he offers him a partnership, which Don accepts, and insists there be no contract. It also means Don is in charge of finding new head of account services. Uh, Pete's been watching the door this whole time, or rather, he's told his secretary to watch the door the whole time, and comes in to congratulate Don, and basically throws his hat in the ring for head of account services. Don gives him kind of like the, yeah, sure kid, kind of shrugs him off a little bit, responds when I go, you know, everyone, I'm considering everybody. Um, and after most people leave for the day, Pete gets drunk and goes into Don's office, sits at his desk, a mailboy comes in, uh, with a pack with a package from Adam and assumes Pete is Don, so leaves it with him. Pete takes the package with him. Meanwhile, back in Austining, Betty spontaneously masturbates with her broken dryer while thinking of a trip with the AC guy. Uh, Peggy look, and then in Brooklyn, Peggy looks at her suddenly heavy, suddenly heavier figure in the mirror, very unhappily, puts on the rejuvenator, and we cut to black. I think I did that pretty quickly, even though it was pretty long. Yeah. Um, okay, what's the theme of this episode? Fantasy. That's what we agreed on? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Or do you want me to go first? Um, go first. Okay. So, 
You're usually more direct than I am. What? Because I write down. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what, what I think is what this episode does a lot of is it sets up conflict of people, like, between people who want more and the people who already have, like, the more, right? So you have Don has kind of achieved his fantasy, achieved his dream, and you have Pete wanting to get to the level. You have Peggy wanting to get to the level of not even, like, the Don level, really, just kind of like a Freddy level, if that, really, like, more of a, a Paul level. Um... And, and there's just characters who fantasize a lot and wish for a better life. Um, you start with Peggy. Um, you know, whole pitch for the Rodrigo neighbors that makes women feel good about themselves and gives them kind of this fantasy where everything is all right and certainly helps aid sexual fantasies. Um, and then even when she describes this, right, after she describes the room of men, they then fantasize about Mitch, a character mm-hmm. who we never see, by the way. <laughs> That's true. They're just kind of talking about it, like his wife, like, yeah. using it, right? Um... And the idea of the pleasure of a man about the man, given the behavior of some of the men on Mad Men, seems like it might be a good idea for some of these female I would characters. Say most right? of the female characters, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Betty's the one who like has the most overt fantasy, right, with the air conditioning guy. But she also fantasizes about having a more attentive husband. Um, one when, who buys her air conditioning, that would right, be great. Yeah, it's wild to me, like, was I was having air conditioning just not as much of a thing? Be, was it I don't think it was a thing, yeah. Because I know there are certain parts in, like, upstate New York where they just don't have air conditioning because yeah. it's cold most of the time, but, like, and Austin's not, like, that far upstate, though. No. It's not really upstate at all. I think it's, like, a, yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, but, you know, we see her, like, she's actually reading Family Circus, of course, like, this idealized picture of sort of family um, actually looks at Don the, the empty part of the bed where Don should be um, and as that happens it fades into the fantasy that Rachel is currently living in and Rachel is living in a fantasy right like she's like oh this guy is like married like you know and of course it's all going to end up okay well it's not like how yeah. could that ever end up okay it never works out for the other woman um, and it's, this is a fantasy that Rachel's sister disapproves of um, so Betty's thing with the AC guy works two ways, right? Obviously she fantasizes about just having sex with someone who isn't her husband, um, and which unbeknownst to her, Don is doing with the woman, um, but it also makes her fantasy of Don seeing her as desirous into reality, right? He becomes protective of her when she hears that he let, mm-hmm. she, when he hears that she let another man into the house. Um, he, he's jealous when he finds out she's been talking to another man, um, and as communicated in prior episodes, she views her self-worth as defined by her, by how desirable she is to men, right? So, you know, and she has this conversation with Francine, too, where she's like, oh, like, you know, he, he's protective, and, and I like that, and blah, 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 right? So it's it's not just sort of like, yeah, the sexual part, it's also like, the oh, the fantasy of having, like, an attentive husband, yeah. um, which she stokes. Um, the guys... Uh, sort of like I'm just gonna use the guys to define like you know the the non-partners basically the guys. they all kind of fantasize about the opportunity that awaits them after Don gets promoted um, Pete fantasizes about being Don he literally goes into Don's office like kicks his feet up on Don's desk and just like is drinking whiskey there yeah. and like basically pretends to be Don when the guy rings the package he's like oh yeah he doesn't like he doesn't correct him right mm-hmm. um, and then he literally takes the package right and he's like I am Don now. exactly right right <laughs> And and he, and he tries to, like, he's, you know, to, to, to use that, an overused Hamilton thing, like, he wants to be in the room where it happens, mm-hmm. right? To him, the office where Berg and Don step into his whole fantasy world, it's Narnia, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's where magic happens, it's where he has to be. Um, 
then of course there's the date Peggy goes on and she basically fantasizes about being Joan she orders yeah. a fancy cocktail John always drinks she uses all this sort of like you know highfalutin well not highfalutin but this sort of like oh very uh, you know or she's like oh Joan's a real scream or my roommate's a character and she's kind of rude to her date because he's just a truck driver yeah. and her whole thing about you know people who are in the city quote unquote appear because they want things they don't have which is completely fantasy exactly like the shortcomings of the people like her date are that they lack the boldness to fantasize on their status of what they already have um and peggy's so close to what she wants but she's not there yet so it still requires a fantasy which is what the rejuvenator reprise her in the episode's end right it makes her feel full after she gets rejected by this guy um but again like this idea of fantasy is of itself sort of a your ability to fantasize is in in some way like a measure not like a measure of your self-worth but it it makes you better than people who are satisfied with what they already are it's kind of yeah it, it shows um the desire for achievement mm-hmm. um i will say the scene with betty at the date is like one of the most peggy, cr- peggy yeah. on the date is one of the most like cringeworthy scenes to me mm-hmm. She's like, oh, Joan is such a scream. Yeah. And then she drinks her cocktail, and the guy's like, something wrong with it? She goes, oh, it's usually sweeter when she orders right, it. And he's right. like, well, what's in it? She goes, I don't know. Right. Like, it's just so, like, cringy. It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it is, it's, it, it's really, like, when she, when they bring the cocktail, and they bring, like, the Rheingold beer, like, that was one of the first times I was like, God, oh, this is, like, a very New York-specific reference that I understand. Because, like, I remember, like, our dad being like, oh yeah, like there were two like really cheap beers in New York in like the sixties. It was Ryan Gold and Ballantine, and mm-hmm. like that was like, I was like, ah, oh, I got that, I got yeah. that. Like, and I, I also think Ryan Gold was a uh, this is Tom Seaver, pitcher for the Mets, greatest Met of all time. Like sponsored Ryan Gold or huh. endorsed it. They sponsored him. Just uh, so how the other way I know what Ryan Gold is. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, let me think what else. know what else can we talk about well don he's like living out his fantasy right that's true i mean don like yeah don always gets his way yeah you know it's like no one ever stops him mm-hmm. he's constantly he's constantly living in a fantasy world right where like he's truly the captain of every single ship he mm-hmm. desires to right. captain mm-hmm. um and like he gets any woman he wants and which is to me, interesting because as much as I love John Hamm, I don't necessarily find like Don Draper super, like, <laughs> appealing. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe there's like an in-person magnetism on my missing right, through the television right. screen. Um, he's getting his partnership with the deal he wants, where it's like mm. I don't want a freaking contract. Yeah. Um, and he gets to basically control everything like even just not allowing his wife to have an air conditioner mm. which is like in my opinion sadistic <laughs> right yeah yeah um he he just gets to control he like manipulates everything mm-hmm. and we we get we see this is i think probably the first time where we see the real like fallout of that right because mm-hmm. on the one level it's like you know whatever he's just kind of a schmoozer yeah right but it leads to a suicide, right? He yeah. kind of doesn't kill his stepbrother, but like you know, he he doesn't make he doesn't help, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we see like even though yes, he is living this fancy world with this this fancy guy in in in, in New York who can get any girl he wants, and like 
literally his past has no sort of current impact on him we see that the reality of Adam is lingering just you know 45 minutes prior yeah um, yeah and he's kind of like this this objectivist fantasy yeah for sure. what's his name Bert's like oh I want to like introduce you to Anne Ranch will salivate right he's this he's this like hyper selfish hyper egoist like he and even more than Bert Cooper knows right like he is like completely self-interested um and that is sort of like a fantasy of like you know like I said like objectivism right this is very like it's like he really plays out like nearly every other character's fantasy Mm -hmm. you know it's you know with the guys Don gets everything at work that they want with the girls he is everything that they want um it's just like there's for Don there's like no losing Mm -hmm. um yeah so yeah. what's his fantasy? What does he want? Well, that's the thing, right? I think part of the show was that, like, he he's the man... What do you get the man who has everything? Yeah. Like, a heart? Like, that's... <laughs> but I think that's it. Like, it's despite having everything he could possibly want, he still feels empty. Yeah. Like, I think that's a big driver for most of his character development and, and the way he kind of stumbles about yeah. um, his life, really. Um, is that he's kind of reached the mountaintop... But he doesn't really know what to do once he gets there. Yeah. Which is an interesting, like, concept to me. Like, this is an aside, like, House of Cards, not a very good show. And people think, like, I don't think it's very... It's, like, okay. I've never Um, seen it. Like, the third season, like, a lot of people don't like. But to me, it's great, because, like, uh, Kevin Spacey's character finally becomes president. And then he actually, like, you can't get higher than... Like, the show's about, like, him climbing the ladder. You can't get higher than president. You have to be, like, literally God. Mm-hmm. And so he has to actually now, like, do stuff instead of just, like, scheme. And I think that's, like, very, very interesting. Like, what does the schemer do once they've executed their scheme? Yeah. It's very interesting. It is. Okay. Um, I think if I have anything else. No, not really. I mean, like, Roger gives up on one of his fantasies. So there's, like, Roger, while everyone else is kind of living in a... Striving for a dream world in this episode, Roger gets hit with reality. Mm-hmm. Like, physically mm-hmm. hit with reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's one of um, Mona, his wife's, you know, coming out at Burt Cooper and being like, you, you know, care about more money more than you care about this man, is of this episode, possibly of the greater show one of the more like realistic moments mm-hmm. a lot of stuff is like very fluffy in the show mm-hmm. um in terms of like people don't like to operate within reality and that's one of the things that was like humbling yeah it was like a lot of like there were actual stakes there right yeah. like it wasn't the matter of like this very successful ad from like just getting another client it was literal life and death stuff yeah. Um, which we don't see like a ton of like literal life and death stuff on Mad Men. There are a few very notable exceptions, mm-hmm. but um, that that's one of the rare moments, and with like a very very central character. Yeah. Too. Um, okay. Are we ready to move on to our awards? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, the Pete Campbell Memorial Worst of the Week. I just realized I call these like awards weeks, and like we did definitely not be doing this weekly, but we're gonna we're gonna keep doing it. These episodes aired weekly. Exactly, that's <laughs> what I am thinking. Yeah. Um, 
I'm like really pissed at Don for not getting Petty an air conditioner. I like I I I'm I'm torn between Don and Pete. Yeah, I am too. Yeah, um, I think, and Bert's kind of up there for the whole Roger thing, but Roger went on his own accord. Yeah. Um, I think I have to go Don too. Pete literally commits like mail fraud, so there's yeah. that. Um, but Don. But that's like a wholesome crime, you know. Uh, it like in the <laughs> sense that, like that is like a clear cut that was a bad thing to do. Yeah. Like Don's thing is like emotionally manipulative. Right, and we and we see the ripples of it more. Yeah. It is emotionally manipulative. Yeah, manipulative, manipulative. Yeah. Yes. Um, and you're yeah, and, and we see you know the ripple effects. We see Betty's sort of ennui. We see Adam's suicide, right? And we see Rachel sort of, like, getting her hopes up. Yeah. When we know this, this can't possibly go yeah. anywhere it could. Um, yeah. All right. Cool. Um, the one other fantasy thing I had to say is that there are at least, like, two scenes in this that feel like they could be a setup to, like, a porn. Like, there's Betty leaving the AC guy upstairs. Oh, yeah. And then there's Joe and Roger just together, like, yeah. alone in the office. Yeah, yeah. Like, both of those, I was like, oh, these could, like, turn, like, a weird way. And I'm sure they exist. Oh, no. <laughs> they 110%. Exist. Yeah. Um, that's, like, the other fantasy thing I thought of. Um, okay, the Roger Stone Memorial best line of the week. I have, <clears throat> this is when Bert pulls in Don to, into Roger's office to discuss promoting him to partner. And Pete sees this happen, and he, he turns to his secretary, Hilda, and goes, Cooper and Draper just went into Sterling's office. Tell me when they come out there. Tell me when they come out of there, will you? And she goes, sure. I'll just sit here and watch the door. That's all I'll do. And he goes, who the hell do you think you're talking to? <laughs> best, best funniest moment of this yeah. episode. Um, all right, going to foreshadowing now? Sure. I mean, Peggy's weight gain. Yeah. Automatically. Um, her her roommate complains that she ate all the saltines, Velveeta, and liverwurst in the apartment. Clearly, clearly some cravings going on. Yeah. Um, her, her and then I, the whole like theme of weight loss. You know, obviously Betty will end up gaining a lot of weight mm-hmm. and then losing a lot of weight. Um. All these are actually like very Peggy centric. I have. Um, they say you know when they ask her to try on the electricizer slash rejuvenator they're like oh we want you to do it because you're a woman um i don't know if it's the episode after this or the one or not episode the season i don't know if season's two or three but they have that whole thing where they're trying to sell the bras and it's like jackie versus marilyn mm-hmm. and they're in the and they're in the room and they're talking about it and she's the only woman there and i think it's paul's theory is like every woman's either a jackie kennedy or marilyn monroe mm-hmm. and she's like well what about me and they're like ah you're more of like a like a I think they call it like Maureen Dowd or something like you're very like sort of like like a, you're like a Greek statue kind of like thing right it's like they don't really consider her a woman right yeah. which which is kind of like a, on the one hand she kind of becomes one of the boys but on the other hand they kind of try to erase her sexuality um, she mentions Utz potato chips when at, at her date because mm. uh, her date is a truck driver for Lay's Utz potato chips of course will play a central role in season two. During the whole Jimmy Barrett mm-hmm. uh, scenario, which leads to, I think, one of my least favorites of Don Draper's affairs with Bobby Barrett. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's just me. Also, just realized that she had the same name as her as his son. 
<laughs> oh, that's weird. That is weird. Why would they do that? I don't know. Um, I don't know. It was weird. Um, so they were just like, we need names that start with, end in Y. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Everyone in the 60s. But Bob, that would have ended in like an IE, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Or just an I, like Bobby Brown, just as an I. Right. Maybe, uh, maybe it'll be revealed to us as we see it. Um, we see Peggy drink while she's pregnant. I mean, like, I feel like everyone did this in the 60s, but we see the the whole, is it next season or season after that when Betty's pregnant and, like, she just drinks and smokes a lot and, like, oh, yeah. cringe every time she does one of those things. <laughs> like, it kind of foreshadows that. Um, and, see, I write down these quotes for the foreshadowing and I never... But no, okay, I do remember who did this. Okay. So when she is at her date and she gets up to leave and she says to the, her date, she goes, I feel sorry for you, um, which kind of foreshadows one of the most iconic lines in Batman history um, when, uh, during the whole snowball fiasco, when Don and Michael Ginsburg are in the elevator and Ginsburg says, I feel sorry for you, and Don goes, I don't think about you at all. Mm. Kind of a similar thing there. <laughs> comprehensive but I also think it's very like wraps up well it does yeah it it, it feels very complete yeah and and it leads to like it helps gear up for like the last two episodes which are more drama filled yeah um, because uh, of course it's a little weasel yes that package is ever lingering um, but yeah it's only only two episodes left this season which that's crazy. It is, yeah. And it also makes me think that maybe they don't care of this drama enough towards the end, but yeah. still, still a great show. Um, thanks so much for listening. I, I guess that's all we have. Uh, I'm Mike Levito. You can find me on Letterboxd at MLevito, on Twitter at MLevito. Uh, I'm Kathleen Levito. You can find me on Instagram at Rise to the Sun. That's right. Um, follow this podcast on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts iTunes and Spotify. Um, check out our other podcast, Real Life Oscar Challenge, we do with my roommate. Um, it's also on all of the platforms. All of these podcasts are on thepostwriter.com, where we also write articles. Uh, so follow the Postwriter on Twitter and Facebook. Um, that's all I got. That's all I got. Awesome. Talk to you later. Bye.